Growing up sucks. Just ask Eric Lauber, father of three 20-somethings and a college professor for decades. Eric helps young adults get smarter, richer, healthier, and happier on the hashtag adulting podcast, Growing Up Sucks. Hey, Brooke, welcome to the podcast today. Um, you did email me ahead of time, so I know what the topic is. But before we dive into that, let me just hear a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What are you up to? I'm Brooke. I am 21. I'm from Slippery Rock. I am a senior in college, and um, I'm really excited to be here today. Thanks, Brooke. Um, so we were going to talk, I think, about studying, which is a great topic. I've, I've actually given classes on this to other faculty back when I was a psychology professor because I did study learning a lot. But, you know, I don't want to just lecture, so let me have you dive in with your question. So what's the first thing that you want to ask about studying? I think the biggest question I've always had about studying is, the, like, what is the best way that works? Right. Right. So uh, that's a good question. And, and I think the answer is it depends. So it depends a lot on what it is you're studying. And so you don't study for the same way for different kinds of topics. At least that's my opinion. Um, there are some things that are similar, though, across them. Maybe we'll bring those up later on. But I, I want to start with success in college obviously begins with studying. <laughs> you have to be able to do well in your coursework to be able to do well in college. And then, of course, that success leads to success later. So let's, let's break up the topics into three. Let's take hard sciences like physics and chemistry differently from social sciences like psychology and sociology and differently from humanities like philosophy and religion and things, okay? Mm -hmm. So um, I presume since uh, you're 20, did you say? 21? 21, yeah. But so you've probably had all three of these. So what did you learn about studying the hard sciences? Hard sciences, I, I think the most important part about hard sciences for me personally was it's not just about memorizing theories and it's about application. I can't just rely on my memory. Like in math, I honestly, am, I'm not very good at math. I have to spend hours studying and doing exercises and going over my notes. It's not just about like studying like A and B. It's Yeah, yes. Flashcards are not, you know, so awesome for sciences and math. You know, because it's not memorizing terms per se, it's solving problems. And it sounds like you learned the, the number one way I think to study is to do problems over and over and over until the point where you can do them without help. So obviously early on you take on a problem at the end of a chapter and you're like, I'm not really sure you have to go back earlier into the chapter to look up how to do it. But when you can do a fresh problem from scratch without help, then you're probably ready for that kind of quiz. But this is going to bring up a topic I'm going to talk about a lot called metacognition. Metacognition is a term that means thinking about your thinking or being aware of what your mind is doing. If you have to be aware of what it is you need to master to do well in a course, right? So in a hard science course, the first thing you wanna ask is, what do I need to do on the test? What, what do I have to be able to do on the test? If you can't answer that question, it's really hard to study, right? So when you've taken classes like math and science, do they give you a sense of what to study? Usually they give out like a study guide that'll have either basic like terms that go into like the equations that you would have to use or 
sometimes they give like examples of the kind of things you have to do and you can use that as like a starter point for learning it on your own. Right, right. And I really recommend that. I mean, obviously the terms have to be under your belt, but it's doing the problems that's probably going to be the key to succeeding in a science application kind of course. I have a physics degree and I remember all they would say to us is study the back of the chapter. And all the back of the chapter was, was just problem after problem after problem. If you could get through all the problems at the end of the chapter, you probably were going to do good on the test because they were almost identical with just some things changed. Is that what you experienced? It is a hundred percent. It definitely helps to look at the back of the book. I know that too. Yeah. So we, so we'll come back to hard sciences if we need to, but so I, I, my, my advice is what you've already learned is do problems fresh problems over and over until you feel confident that you can solve that kind of problem on test day. And that's just doing problem sets. I have to mention, by the way, uh, my daughter went to an engineering college. And, and one of the things that bright students have to recognize is when they go from high school to college, the homework is a lot longer in college. So I felt like in high school, I could do every math problem in five minutes. And if I couldn't, then something was wrong with it. But in, in college, you have to learn, it might take you an evening to do one engineering problem. And that's, that's normal. That's okay. That's the way it works. And that's really hard for, for people who didn't really study a lot in high school to adjust to that, the amount of time that one problem or several problems might take in college. And you have to just adapt to it. Did you find that out? Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I did not study at, at least as much as I did in college. Getting to college was definitely kind of a turning point where I had to learn to study a lot longer and like make chunks of time out of the day to like study these kind of things. Yeah, so I want to I cycle back to that because I think that's an important topic. But let's talk, let's talk about the other two real quick. So social sciences. Um, what do you think is the thing you learned about studying the social sciences? I think keeping up with the reading is probably the most important part about social sciences, at least for me. And I think along with that, talking about it in like a group discussion really helps me because it's, it's not about, again, not just about like learning like the terms, it's about connecting it with things and being able to articulate your ideas to people rather than just like knowing it in your head. Well, like, uh, I was just going to ask, oh, you're getting some feedback there. What kind of tests did you take in social sciences? A lot of those were kind of, it was matching, all that kind of stuff. But I think the, the hardest part was the, um, the essay portion where you have to, again, like articulate your ideas into words rather than just like, again, knowing the terms. Right. And so I want to split that in half. The matching, the multiple choice kinds of questions that you often get in social sciences take one kind of study approach. Then the essay questions actually are more like humanities, where you have to apply terminology, theories, and concepts in your own words and explain something. That's a different kind of studying. And I like the way you said that getting groups and talk things out. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. You ever heard of the teach back method? Uh, no, I have not actually. Right. 
I, I taught psychology for years. I, I was a psychology professor. And I would, when I knew I was going to give essay exams, I would say to them, look, one of the best things you can do is call your mom and explain it to her or your roommate. If you can explain it so that they understand it, you probably have it down. But if some point you're trying to explain it and their eyes glaze over and they stop and ask you a question like, I don't understand what you just said, you probably don't know it that well. And you certainly can't put it in your own words. So this teach back method is a fantastic way to study for essays in the social sciences. I think it works in the humanities as well. So I recommend that. But, but on the other hand, for multiple choice and matching and terminology, that's, that's, not, that's not the way to do it. Because in those cases, all you need is, is to recognize the right answer amongst a couple of choices. And I know when I gave multiple choice tests, it was usually about breadth. I had so much material that I just wanted them to, to be able to recognize the right answer. If you took that kind of test, what study technique would you use? For like the multiple choice? Yeah, if you had a multiple choice psych exam. I think mine would probably be, um, again, just reading, I think is the most, like I need to know what goes with what by reading it as a full thing instead of like chunking it up, I guess. Yeah. I, and then just kind of like, I think I would go back after I was done and see if I could by reading a definition, see if I could pick out which one goes to which. Right. So you might build your own, own exam and try yeah. to find your own matching. That's a great idea because the best you can do is, is test yourself. That's that metacognition component again. Find out whether you know it or not. If you don't, then you study it. If you've mastered it, then don't study that anymore. Put your energy someplace else. I have to tell you, B students sometimes study harder than A students. What the A students are doing is being efficient. They're figuring out what they don't know, and then that's where their energy is going, particularly stuff that's going to have good payoff. Things are going to get them points. Unfortunately, B students might build flashcards and then go over and over and over and over and over. And unfortunately, on my exams, flashcards would be a percentage of what you needed to know, 25%, 50%. If you didn't do anything else, then you're ready to answer 25 to 50% of my questions. The thing that you said, read, that's exactly what I recommend. So I would tell my honor students, read it three times, carefully. And I'm gonna describe that in a minute. The first time is just to get kind of the, the imagine building a house. The first time is the foundation and the, and the studs for the walls. You don't know any of this stuff. So you're just getting the basics. The second time you read it nice and slow and careful, you're putting the walls up, you're adding the windows, you already have the basics. So you're able to hold on to more of the details. And the third time, which is what you do the night before the test is you're getting all the decoration up on the walls, like all the other stuff's in there. Now you're really noticing the relationships, the subtleties, the little details. Reading it three times means I could probably not ask you a question that you don't have some sense of being able to recognize the right answer. I don't know if you've ever done that. You've ever read anything three times for, for an exam? Three times? No, I, I probably should. I like that idea a lot. I usually, I would say maximum two. Yeah. It, but I, I, <laughs> where it works is by the way, is when the kind of exam I would give, which would be broad, but detailed across the entire chapter. 
Like I'm not giving students a study guide, learn the entire chapter. Everything is fair game. Well, then you have to read the entire chapter. What students like to do is distill it down into a page or two. Oh, they love it when professors give them study guides because that's all their study. They won't even read the chapter, right? But the, the, the professor communicating to you, this is all I'm going to test you on. Well, then it's two pages of content. Memorize it, right? But I wouldn't give that kind of test. I would give a broad test with everything from the chapter in there. And then they would have to read everything in there. Now, by the way, when you read, do you know when you're reading well and when you're not reading well? When you're studying? I'm actually not sure <laughs> with that. It's a, it's a question most students don't ask themselves. So let, let me back up a second. If I said the number 42 to you right now, and then completely ignored that fact and went on with the rest of this entire conversation, I guarantee you, because I've done this, at the, in, a, in 20 minutes from now, if I said, what was the number that I said out loud a while back? You'd, you'd remember 42. And why? Because you were curious about it. Your mind is going, why did he say 42? What does it mean? What significance does it have? How does it relate to me? I've done this many times in classes. When you're curious about something, you learn it, plain and simple. When you're not, you're not paying attention. And did you know that you can read and not pay attention? It, think of it as taking dictation. Like I know enough Spanish that I could read Spanish and not know what I'm reading, right? You can do that with English words. You could read them in your head. And then at the end of the page, not have any idea what you just read. Have you ever found yourself reading a few pages and then recognizing that, oh, I don't know what I read. Usually with like a lot of textbook information, I find myself doing that. Yeah. It's hard to make it interesting for myself to pay attention Exactly. So there's two things you got to do here. One is try to make it interesting. Try to come up with questions before you read that are going to be answered by that text or that chapter. In fact, in the front of most textbook chapters, they do that for you. They put a bunch of questions or here's what you're going to learn. And that allows you to go, well, I'm going to try to learn that now. I'm curious, what is the answer to this? And that creates that curiosity. That's how you actually start learning. And it, I guarantee this works because if I give a student a video game, they don't turn on a learning button. They're just interested. They want to know what's next. How is the landscape laid out? Who are the players? What's the rules? And they learn them on the fly and they learn them easily and very well. The thing is that they don't allow themselves to be curious about their college courses. And that's the only thing you have to do is be curious and then you'll start learning. The other thing that I'm going to mention is I actually do this when I'm studying. Because like I said, there's no learning button. You don't turn it on. As when my hand turns a page, I stop and ask myself, do I know what I just read? Like I can say the words all the way down to the end of the page and turn it and have no idea what I just read. And if that happens, I have to go back and start the page again. Because the idea is I have to pay attention. I have to be thinking about what I'm reading. And on the occasions when I do that twice or I have to do it three times, I'm like, all right, I got to get up and get a drink of water. I'm not concentrating. I don't know why I'm thinking about lunch. I'm thinking about something, you know, 
upsetting me in my life, whatever it is. And I'm not listening. I'm not paying attention to the words on the page. Then I'm wasting my time. I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever figured that you studied, but you know you didn't learn anything because you weren't really studying? Yeah, sometimes I've been in, I've been taking some tests and usually I go into it thinking I've read it all, I know it all, but I see the first question and I'm like, where was this at all yeah. in anything yeah. I've read? And, and you go back and you find out it is in there. It's mm-hmm. just, and you, but you read over it and it just didn't sink in. You weren't paying attention to what you were reading. You were just saying the words in your head. Yeah, I tell students, look, if you're not paying attention while you're studying, go do something else. You're not learning. <laughs> go get a nap, get food, clear your head, do yoga. Don't, don't sit down until you're ready to study. And by the way, do you know what time of the day is best for you to study? Well, I usually study during the night, but I don't know if that's the, the best. When, when are you most awake? When do you pay the attention the easiest? I would say around evening. Okay. And it me. might be, it might've worked for you, right? I'm an evening person. Mm-hmm. Too. I've actually kind of switched to a morning person. Like if, if your number one job as a college student is to do well in these courses, my recommendation is find the hours of the day when you are the most awake and use those to study because the information is going to stick better than if you wait to the evening, let's say you're tired and you say, Oh, I got to force myself to get through this chapter. I'm going to speed read it in 15 minutes before I go to sleep. You're not paying attention. Your mind's not processing the material. It's not going to stick. You're not going to have it for later. So a uh, uh, quick aside. So when I went to college, uh, a bunch of guys and I, would watch this one TV show right after dinner. We'd go to the cafeteria, we'd go back, we'd watch the show. It was called Baba Block Sheep. I have no reasonable suspicion you know what I'm talking about. It was about Korean fighter pilots, I think. Baba Block Sheep. And then one day they took it off the air. And we were all devastated because it was our ritual. We just really enjoyed doing this. And I said, well, I don't like this show they replaced it with. I'll just go to the library. And so I started a new habit. I went to the library right after my dinner. I got there much earlier than I normally would. And you know what happened? I studied better. (laughs) I got better grades. I even got to go home earlier and get to bed and get a better night's sleep. And it became a habit. Just like Baba Black Sheep had been my default behavior, the habit that I just always did without even choosing to do it, going to the library became my default behavior. It's like what I did after dinner every night, unless there was a reason not to. College students have to make studying the default. I always do it this way. I always do it at this time. I always do it in this place. And I recommend the library. Get out of your room. And then break that is is the choice. That's the harder thing to do is to break that default. Do you study in a regular way? Do you have a pattern? I... I usually go for a lot of repetition. I try at least, and I usually do it at night alone. So I don't have any distractions around me. Usually everybody else is kind of sleeping. You do it late at night. And other people. Are I sleeping. usually do it late at night. Yeah. Well, that works for some people. And it worked for me in college. I was a night owl. I would study till pretty late. But uh, is it always the same nights? Is it the same times in the same place? Usually, yeah, it is. 
See how helpful that is? Your mind, even before you start studying, your mind's already like, all right, I'm going to start paying attention because mm-hmm. I'm going to start studying here. Do you play music? I usually play the same song over and over again. Ah. I get distracted if it changes. There you go. Right. So I think that's okay because that song is so familiar. You don't even hear it. Does it have words? It does usually, but not, not as much as a, like a regular like pop song. Or... Yeah. I would always tell students play classical music if you have a choice. Because if you play songs with words, it's possible the verbal words can cause interference in your reading and your concentrating. Right? You don't want two streams of words going into the working memory. And even if you're reading through your eyes and hearing through your ears, they go to the same place. You can pay attention to one and ignore the other, but why set up a competition? I mean, I don't want to hear what's on the radio. It's just there to just keep all the other noises down. So I, I like to play classical when I have to study some hard material. I like that idea. Yeah. I think that I might try that out next time. Yeah, because you don't hear it anyway. It's just, it's just, yeah. And you can, you can choose different things. Vivaldi and see if you don't like Vivaldi, then you can choose Mozart. You know, there's all, there's all kinds of classical, fast and slow and violins and not. All right. So we talked about social science. There's at least two kinds of social science tests. And because there are, it takes two kinds of study techniques. Now let's talk humanities. What kind of humanities test have you had? I, I had a film class my freshman year, and I had to learn how to write in a bunch of different styles, like reviews and mm-hmm. st- just kind of stuff like that. I, that took a whole different approach than any other kind of studying I've ever done. How did you master it? What did you do? I think it's about practicing the process. It was about knowing what a prompt is and how to write for it. It was about learning how to be an editor, a reader, a writer. It kind of just like encompasses everything instead of looking at the small parts. Yes. Well said. I like, I like both your answers very well. One is learning how to answer the prompt because that's what kind of an essay normally humanities. Now, some humanities are multiple choice tests. And then I said, just go back to the social science technique, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of humanities are writing papers or writing big essay answers. And it's composing a long answer to a prompt. And again, the teach back method might be really helpful for that because it forces you to say out loud, how would you explain this? What order would you say things in, right? So that it's understandable to somebody. It's also, I think, about uh, terminology and making sure you use the words that are being taught in that course, if you can, right? Using them accurately, but put them in your essay. And then I like what you said, you're both the writer and the editor. So nowadays, a lot of students write their answers on computer, which is great because you can cut and paste and move around and you've got editing. When we did them all on blue books, with pencils and pens, you couldn't change it. (laughs) Once you wrote it, you could cross it out and then add something behind that. But you know, you had to really sit and think first before you wrote. And I, I think that's, that's a tip for humanities tests is before you start writing, organize it, maybe turn the paper over or, or, or off on the side, write an outline to yourself. Here's what I'm going to cover. And then 
start writing and, and then write it. And then because it's usually on a computer, you get to edit it. Go back and reread it one more time before you turn it in. I mean, you got to be fairly efficient, right? They're usually timed exams. But the same thing applies to papers, right? So if you write a paper for humanities course, philosophy, religion, English, literature, whatever it is, film, you, know, you have to write an outline, you have to write it, and then you have to edit it. You do write papers, right? You write papers for your courses? I do, yes. Yeah. So is there any difference in how you prepare and do well on those? What have you learned about doing good on papers? I think exactly what you said, writing an outline is really the biggest part of that. I don't know how many papers I've written that do not flow well because I've just written it all out in one sitting and it just doesn't make any sense. I think it's about structure and knowing how to answer it well within that. Good answer. Good answer. Yeah. There has to be a structure. You have to have an outline, at least in your head. There has to be a purpose behind each paragraph. Like here's why this comes second and this comes third and fourth. Yeah. I think, well, obviously you're a successful student. I think you're doing well and you've learned a lot about studying. No, I'm going to wrap up here. Cause I know you've given me as much time as you can. I, I want to throw just a couple more tips out. One is of course, try to be physically comfortable not comfortable enough that you sleep, but when you study, so don't be hungry. Don't have other issues. You, know, you have to concentrate. By the way, when I went to, to, the, to the library after dinner, sometimes I'd find myself so sleepy. I was a college athlete for a while. I would put my head down and take a 20 minute nap. And then I'd wake up and bam, I could study again. And I think that if you're so sleepy that your eyes are drooping, you're not concentrating. So you might as well just learn to take a quick nap by the way, this will help you out later in life, too, if you get a chance to do this. And then, you know, you can, you can concentrate and start studying. And the second tip is try to reward yourself for the self-discipline that it takes to put in those hours in college to study. Right. So you set yourself a goal. I'm either going to sit here for an hour and get this done or I'm going to finish this chapter and get this done. And then I'm going to make a hot chocolate or <laughs> Or I'm going to do something that, that rewards me for sitting here. And, and I have to put sometimes six-hour evenings in in college to get through all my courses. And every hour, I was like, I'm going to make it to the, to the end of this hour. And then I'm going into the library cafeteria. I'm getting a hot chocolate, right? Next time, I'm going to get a Snickers bar. <laughs> Just something to get me up out of my chair, break the fatigue. Usually, it was a little bit of sugar for me. Sometimes caffeine. <laughs> And uh, if you do those little things to reward yourself, you find that studying isn't quite as painful because it takes self-discipline. And at the end of the day, self-discipline is really the trick. That's really what's going to make you a success. You already agree. Do you agree with any of these? Do you do anything like that? A hundred percent. Yes. Especially like rewarding myself when I've studied. I, cause I know if I have a goal in mind, I want to do it more. So it makes me more motivated. So back to metacognition. Back to metacognition. Do you, um, do you know when you're going into a test and you feel confident? I do. And that's because yeah. why? What have you done to make yourself feel confident? I think uh, just with knowing I've studied enough and looking at what I think needs to be studied 
I, that, that usually makes me a lot more confident if I've gone over it a lot. Yeah. And yeah. kind of like, kind of like with that teaching back, you said like, if I'm able to do that, I think I'd be more confident going into it. Well, you, you've already said the things that I think are the key here. One is, do you know what to study? And you've put thought into it and analysis into it, right? So you, you think and study what, to, what the quiz is going to be like, what the test is going to be like, what's going to be on the exam, what's required for this paper. And then you've monitored your own learning to discover when, you, when you're there. Like, all right, I, I can do that now. I've somehow given myself feedback. I've, done, I've monitored it. I know that I can do it. Those, that's the key. Those are the two parts of metacognition that I want to stress today. Brooke, you're near the end of your college career? I am. <laughs> yes. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Good luck. Unless you go to grad school, uh, you will not be in this same environment again. And that's, that's both a hope and a caution for people. Uh, I have three kids. One of them doesn't really like to study, didn't kick the <laughs> pants off college. And I said, don't worry, there'll be a day when you don't have to do it like this. You'll learn, you'll continue to learn, but it won't be like this. And that kid of mine is doing fantastic out in the workforce. They're built better for the workforce than they were as a student. Now, the other two are great, great students, and they're also doing very well. But I I want to be encouraging to those who find that the self-discipline of studying hours at night is hard for them. There's an end to this. Just keep it up to the very end and get through your classes. On the other hand, if you really like this, you can learn anything the rest of your life as long as you're a self-learner. So Brooke, I don't know where you're headed after this, but you can have a career change if you decide you want to, because you can teach yourself, particularly because you have those metacognitive skills. So congratulations and good luck. I hope you do fantastic in whatever you do next. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Growing Up Sucks podcast with Eric Lauber. 